Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back to the Rifles Only Accuracy Podcast. Everything center fire and rim fire. Uh, think things that are coming up. We've got uh, the brawl that's coming up in uh, the mid part of February. I think it's 16th, 17th. It's a Friday, Saturday. If you haven't gotten signed up for that, please do. We're going to go through a list of our sponsor on the on the next uh, podcast as well. And also, just letting you go, I am going to get to that question on the on the 122 to use. Uh, we will do that in a, in a future podcast when I get Frank back on here with us. And um, that's that's where we are right now. But I know that this, uh, this match is shaping up to be a pretty good one. So uh, if you all have any questions, anything else, remember ROAP at RiflesOnly.com. ROAP, that's Rifles Only Accuracy Podcast. If you have any questions, anything like that uh just email them to us and we'll get to them i promise you we'll get to them we read them all but at any rate um today i have a special guest with me and it's mr carl taylor carl say hi how you doing good man good good i'm glad to have you on here carl you know you've uh you you've done a lot in this industry and uh i just wanted to start out man like who are you where are you from tell us a little bit about yourself um well not much different than most of the folks, I guess, uh, that kind of get into this. I, I'm from a small town in southeastern Washington, um, near Lewiston, Idaho, just inside the Washington border, about 30 miles. I grew up on a wheat and cattle ranch there, and, and then when we weren't ranching and farming, uh, we took the fall, and we were outfitters for 30 years. Oh, so, wow. um, yeah, so I spent my time kind of on back of a horse on farm equipment and at 18 uh, uh joined the military and while i was in high school i played a lot of football um and wrestled i actually had scholarship offers to uh, go play at some junior colleges and stuff but i um opted out of that and and went in the marine corps basically i i was tired of school and thought that if i went in the military i wouldn't have to uh, crack the books anymore and, how'd that and work out for you awakened. Yeah, I got a big rude waking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me before you get before you keep on outfitters. What did you, you you sold products? You took people hunting. What did you do? Yeah, my grandfather and father, um, all of myself, all my cousins and brothers and, and stuff. We were conscripted labor for uh, <laughs> uh, hunting um, outfitter. We were in the Blue Mountains of Washington State, uh, which at one time and still is currently, except the the wolves and predators are kind of killing it all off but was uh, a big place to go elk hunting uh, elk trophy elk trophy mule deer and, and we took them all over the blue mountains uh to do that on horseback and and with mules pack the camps in and, and that kind of stuff oh, wow wow yeah so that's a that's that what's going on with the i've been reading a lot about the wolf problem and the elk populations have, have been kind of going downhill because of introduction of wolves from other areas and stuff like that. Are you, you still keep up with that? Yeah, that's a big problem in our state. I'm, the wolves get the brunt of the, the blame, but really it's the three apex predators, the bears, wolves, and cougars um, down in the blue mountains. They just did a study and I I'm citing this because I do, I keep a close eye on it, but they did, they collared 90 calf elk, of those 90 calf elk, 90% of them uh, were mortalities from cougar kills. Oh, wow. So the state took away our ability to hunt cougars with dogs. Um, so they're just all that time in the mountains from the time I can remember to the time I was 18, went in the military. I probably chance contact saw maybe two cougars. Okay. Um, now, as an adult living up here, I see two, three cougars a year just driving around in, in the woods. Wow. 
So that kind of tells you the concentration levels are, are way up and, and cougars don't like to be seen. Right. And, and have they, have they changed that back to where you can hunt them with dogs again or what's, what's the state? Laws uh, there no, now? In, no, they're in fact, uh, they're, uh, planting, uh, trouble grizzly bears up in our area now and put links, uh, in, in the mountains up here as well. And, our game commission came out and said last fall, in fact, there's an Outdoor Life uh, magazine article on it, that uh, the commission wants to put enough predators in the woods up here so it eliminates the hunters. So that's that's where the, our state's going. Colorado, unfortunately, um, they're actually buying wolves from an um, Indian reservation across the river from us here. They just bought 10 wolves to introduce down in Colorado. So Colorado is, is much on the same uh, trajectory. Yeah, I read that those those wolves, nine of the ten came from uh, depredation packs, correct? I mean, they had they already know that they were getting cattle and everything else, correct? Yeah, that's from the uh, Colville Indian uh, Confederated Tribes, and they want to get rid of them. They're, they're, they've seen what they're doing, and, and they don't want their uh, elk, deer, moose populations affected from it. What is the deal with them? Are they actually saying in public, we want enough predators up here to get rid of the hunters? Is that, is that, yes. they're, they're the actually. The game commission said, yeah, yeah, they did. They said that in a meeting and then an Outdoor Life magazine did a, an article on it. They said that last year and, and they're on that trajectory. And you know, I think in the Outdoor Life article or another article, um, they cited Washington State to be the uh, test bed and the program manager for the rest of these states that want to have this kind of program and eliminate hunting in their states and get all the predators um, populated. You know, I did a podcast with Mike Bocciolieri uh, a couple years back. Do you know him? He works for Leopold. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well. yeah. And uh, it reminds me of something that he said that he, he did something stupid and he said he just, he snorted a huge line of stupidity. And that sounds like what that game commission's doing. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. They've been on that. They've been on that line for the last 15, 20 years. Well, I mean, anybody who knows anything at all, I, I, well, I know the way it is here in Texas. Um, you know, you're, you're, whenever you buy a license, you know, to hunt here in Texas. And I mean, a big chunk of that money goes towards game conservation. And I know a lot of other states are the same. It seems like they're taking the opposite tact. Yeah, it used to be that way here, but now all the money uh, from hunters and, you know, you're fishing and buying uh, what they call a discovery pass up here to be able to park your vehicle on state land and that kind of stuff. All that money now goes to the general fund. Okay. Um, so it just... <clears throat> It's, it's eroding away and, and they want to get rid of it. They've, they've admitted it. So that has got to be the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. I mean, absolutely the stupidest thing. Yes. Well, and that's what we deal with in, in the, here in the state, two thirds of the state's pretty conservative, but the populace out votes us in the uh, Seattle uh, Tacoma corridor over there. So we're just, we're out leveraged. Uh, if, right. if Carl was King, I think we would enact some kind of a, um, electoral college here where each county would get a a vote or a say in what's going on and, and that would even the playing field but um, that's never going to happen yeah well <clears throat> yeah it's 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 the government you know what I mean <laughs> it's the government it just kind of seems like it gets <laughs> a little bit, little bit screwed up man well I can't believe that I actually I what you just told me I didn't know that they had actually come out and said yes we we don't want any game animals because we don't want hunters 
And it's kind of like, you know, where, yeah. where are the, where are the conservationists? You know, where are the, where are your liberal tree huggers and everything else? Where are those guys stand on this to where, okay, now you're not going to have any elk. You're not going to have any uh, mule deer. You're not going to have any of that. I mean, it's kind of like you're, uh, you're playing God, so to speak. That's exactly what they're doing. And they have sold the bill of goods to the, the rank and file over in that squalor of urban squalor. I mean, they don't get out like we do. They don't live in it like we do over here. Right. Where it's a, a daily part of our life and, and livelihood. Uh, they just get the propaganda and they're told over there that having these predators and um, these kind of numbers in the, in the field will strengthen the herds, but they, all you got to do is grab the studies from Lolo, um, the Lolo forest in Idaho or even Yellowstone. And you can see how all this has decimated the, uh, the ungulate populace. Wow. Wow. I, I, I wow. <laughs> Sorry to ruin your day. <laughs> uh, actually, Carl, you just did, man. You just really did. You just ruined my day. I'm kind of like, that is, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. And you know, you got, you have people up there that, you know, I mean, the wild game is obviously the best, the best meat that you can eat. There's no question about it. You know, it, it's so good for you Absolutely, and everything else. Yeah. It's not processed or anything else. And elk happens to be, you know, one of my favorites. And it seems like, it seems like they would be trying to control the predator population to, to a sustainable or normal level, but it sounds like they're trying to inflate it to beyond natural levels. And of course, that's always going to have down the road effects. And, it, you know, you get to a, you know, it, it, it's kind of reminded me of the American bison. You know what I mean? It's like, damn, let's kill them all. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. It's bad. Um, it's just, and on the predator's defense, I mean, I think we need to, to we need a healthy, a healthy amount of predators. Oh yeah. In the of course. Woods. I mean, a natural balance, but sure. we are so far out of balance now. And these predators, all they know is they're hungry or right. they just won't kill. That's just the way they're made. Right. That's what they You're do. You're not going to get around that. So it's incumbent on us to manage that, which we're not. We are overmanaging the, um, we call it the Department of Game here, but I, I actually call it the Department of, uh, of Predators because they, they don't, they're not managing any game. They're managing predators. Yeah. Wow. Well, damn, I didn't, I didn't know we were going to head down that road and, um, you know, uh, screw you very much for fucking up my day, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I'm glad I know. I, I'm glad I know yeah. now because now I, you know, that's just a. a it's I, I'm going. I'm going back to. I'm going back to. But to what Buck said, you know, that's just a big old line of stupid. Yeah, yeah, it's a daily conversation up here. So I guess when yeah. you spurred me with the. <laughs> yeah. Thing. Well, you're, you're in it, you know, you're right there in the middle of yeah. it. You know, you know what you've seen, you know, growing up there and then you're, you're still there now as you know, a mature person and, and you've seen the changes and they're, they're not good. And I, I just wonder, you know, if the people that are making the rules that are in the, the urban centers who have never even seen a coyote before, and they're out trying to, you know, the, be the masters of, of nature and they really don't know anything about it. Right. Well, and it goes along the line and coming back towards our industry a little bit is, they, I, I think it's if I had to have a conspiracy theory, if you were, um, if or if you would, I think it's their whole thing because you know the liberals will say, oh, well, the only reason we have the Second Amendment is so you can hunt. So in that guise, if they take that away from us, then they're justifying even more to try and take our our weapons away. No, well, the Second Amendment had absolutely zero to do with hunting or sporting events. Exactly right, but you you know you hear it from the 
the uh, the liberals all the time. Oh, you don't need 30 rounds to go shoot a deer or this or that. That's not, we have weapons to keep ourselves um, free of a tyrannical government, but Correct. nobody cares or takes time to study the constitution anymore. Yeah. Well, it was over, it was over a 3% tax on tea the first time around. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then, and, and, oh, our ancestors would not be happy with us at this point. Rolling over in their graves. I'm certain. I'm absolutely certain. Sure. Oh man. Well, let's, let's, let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> so you, 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 uh, and, and again, thank you for that. And, um, I appreciate that. I'm going to start researching that a little bit more. I didn't know it was that bad up there. Um, so apparently it's, it's much, much worse than I even imagined. So it's crazy. All right. Very good. So you're 18, uh, you joined the military. Uh, tell us about that. Where, what was your path through that? Well, my path through that, I, joined the military I, I just want to do uh they got a live one with me i said i want to be guaranteed infantry so uh <laughs> that was that was real hard um i got into that and then my first two years uh in the marine corps i spent on sea duty um i was on the uss enterprise um doing shipboard stuff uh, for those two years started as a post standard for probably three months and then i was on the reactionary squad uh, and then Corporal the Guard. And now basically we were doing uh, close quarter combat um, mm-hmm. every day for two years, running drills, practicing. Uh, we were also in charge of um, the admiral and the captain on board and, and doing their dignitary protection and that kind of stuff as well. So mm-hmm. two years of that. And then what, what year was, was that, Carl? That, what year was that, Carl, when you went in? Uh, 19 September of 1985. Okay. All right. Very good. So, yeah. So then I I left sea duty and I actually, uh, now you've got that whole line of stupid and running through my head. (laughs) I actually picked to go to 29 Palms, California to the infantry battalion out there, um, for my dream place because it was a non-deployable battalion at the time. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, at the time, I'd already been on two and a half deployments. We did a world cruise, and my first deployment were off the, the coast of Libya when we bombed them the first time, and then just all kinds of stuff through the Middle East on the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, Frank Galley and I were in the same place at the same time, didn't even know it. He was uh, doing the boardings on the uh, oil platforms, and I was on the Enterprise, and we were uh, the Enterprise was uh, providing air support for him when he was doing that. So kind of weird how you in the same place at the same time, but don't even know it. Well, yeah, I didn't even run uh, into one another. <laughs> yeah, no, not even for decades later. We never even met each other for decades later. But, right. Um, yeah. So I went to 29 Palms, uh, first battalion, fourth Marines and setting in the, uh, in the admin hallway, getting ready to put my paperwork in and, and go to a, an infantry company within the battalion. The sergeant walks through the door and, and I don't know, there must've been 15, 20 of us in there. And he says, everybody in here that's a uh, qualified expert, raise your hand. Mm-hmm. He didn't quite say it that eloquently. Uh, right. Yeah. You know, there was some other colorful language in there, but right. So we put our hands in the air. Um, and he said, all right, everybody's got their hand there. You got a, a high PFT 290 and above. We'll keep your hand in the air. So some hands are going down. Then the next question was, uh, if you've got a first class uh, swim qualification, or better keep your hand in the air. So more hands are going down. Mm-hmm. 
And he just walks down. And the first guy comes to us, sitting between him and I, and and he says, "Where are you from?" The kid says, "I'm from New York." He goes, "City, state." Well, I'm from the city. Put your hand down. So, well, I don't even know what this guy's doing. Comes to me. Where are you from? Washington State. You fish, you hunt, you do that kind of stuff. Yes, Sergeant. He goes, grab your shit, come with me. So that was my introduction into the sniper platoon. Dude, that's uh, a no that's idea. a that's an opening scene to a movie, right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe I don't know. Um, but so yeah, that was that was my my introduction to the sniper platoon that was Sergeant Navarro that that was our chief scout at the time and they were recruiting um, for the platoon and I went over there past the indoc and within three months which is pretty rare um, as a lot of people may or may not know but once you get into a, a sniper platoon or state platoon whatever uh, flavor it was at the day but um, usually you're sitting around competing for a slot uh, trying to get to school. Mm-hmm. Some guys never get to go. Um, other guys that wait a year or longer to go. And I, I was there three months and, and I was off to uh, first Marine division South sniper school. Okay. So um, fortunate enough to get the seat um, went. And at the time it was a 70% attrition rate. We started with 24 students and graduated seven. Okay. So I, uh, I was lucky enough to make it through and then ended up over time, taking the platoon over, became the chief scout and then put the platoon sergeant and, and uh, running, running the guys and stuff. And then we switched colors to Thurbertide seventh Marines back in the mix doing deployments and, and all that kind of stuff. So, but it was a great platoon. Um, matter of fact, a few of the guys have moved up here um, within six miles of me. And uh, from that original platoon, so I don't know if they're moving up here to punish me for when I was in charge or get the band back together or, or what's going on. But we all were pretty tight. Yeah. Um, after we all got out of the Marine Corps, I stayed in the reserve for quite a while. And then I started contracting in the mid nineties mm-hmm. uh, before it was cool, I guess, but started doing that. Um, and then I landed a pretty sizable contract and I reached out to a lot of the guys that was in, in that platoon with that original platoon and they started working for me. And then we, we've all been over to in the G Watt together and, and work together over there and, and, uh, that kind of stuff. So it's, it's been a lifestyle for me and I'm, you know, kind of still doing the same stuff. Um, yeah. I try to keep it on a, on a low key, as you know, yes, sir. um, working with, with different people and, and organizations and then, you know, just, Along the way, picked up other things and did other things like the, the Target Company. Right. Matter of fact, and I think you know, you were my first customer. Yes, sir, I do. We're we're going to get to that in a minute. Let's let sure. let me ask you a question. So, starting out with an M40, am I correct? Uh, M40A1. M40A1. Yeah, the Unirtles were brand new. Uh, I wow. think they had finally just. Um, just all been fielded and the red fields were completely gone uh, Mm -hmm. when I went to school. Wow. We had a couple at the platoon when I was there. Uh, We didn't really mess with, but uh, shot with them a little bit. But by the time that next three months when I went to school, they they were all gone. Okay. All right. Very good. And and so the, you know, the, we, we get, uh, you know, in my business, I get a lot of the, you know, mill versus MOA thing. You know what I mean? And so I always say, okay, you have the, you had the, it's kind of the Marine Corps fault because they did MOA adjust with a MILDOT reticle 
And so you got two different languages <laughs> going right. on there. I said, you can blame that on the Marines. I saw, however, to their credit, whenever they went mill mill, it was the Marine Corps who did it first. So of all of our branches, right. so that that's kind of cool. Well, what um, just as a just as a little bit of a comparison, because I, I often like to think about this and I, I chuckle on it. But what is what is your go to long rifle right now? Currently, 2023. I know you get that question. I get that question all the time. You know, I guess I'm, if I have to go grab one right away, it's usually a 308. You just have to have it, grab mm-hmm. it. it. I grab that 308. Um, I know people hate that thing, but I will say it's killed more people than polio, so it can't be all bad. Yeah, there's a stack of dead people uh, that say 762 works pretty damn good. <laughs> You know, and and there's arguments about going to the six five and this and that. I think that's a logistical nightmare down the road and causes problems overseas. But um, it, it, there's plenty of ammo available all the time for three hundred eight. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of thing. I mean, I, my favorite caliber. Uh, the difference between go to rifle and, and favorite caliber. I am a, a seven millimeter fan. I mm-hmm. have been since I was a kid when we were outfitting. That was kind of my, uh, the, the rifle I always wanted with a seven mm Magnum. Um, and then later I, I have that and then other variants of those. And I, I love those things. Yep. They're a pleasure to shoot. But when I've absolutely got to grab something, I grabbed that 308, I think because of all that, the ballistics are ingrained in my head so well that yep. I don't have to think. I don't have to think as much. Right. Uh, yeah. And that, that's, that's the idea. If you, if you've got to go and do something thinking is should you should, your thinking should have been done before, you know, before you get right. Well, yeah, exactly. But what, exactly what right. I'm saying is, okay, okay. We got that 308. That's fine. I, I get it. It's still, it's still a, a good one. And I, I have, I still have it, but what, what about the stock configurations? What I'm trying to say is now, are you more comfortable shooting your rifle now with all of these stock options and chassis options that we have rather than the M40 A1? Oh, the stock options and stuff. That, you know, they're these chassis. They're great. I love them. Um, but the feel of a traditional stock, how it feels, uh, marries up to my shoulder and hands and and all these kind of things. Yeah. I don't know if I'm living nostalgically or it's it just feels better. I'm more comfortable in it. If that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, of course, once I've built the cheek piece up and my stock weld and all those kind of things that we want to do to be accurate. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, you, what's weird is uh, jumping ahead a little bit. We were um, just out this August in Quantico in Washington, D.C. for the, the Marine Scout Sniper Association's 25th anniversary. Mm-hmm. And we went over to the RTE shop and of course they've got the old M40A1s there and I right. hadn't had one in my hand and I don't know how long and putting that thing in my hands was you talk about flashbacks and yeah. the comfortability of it and I'm like oh my god this is it felt like I was home again yeah it felt like home yeah I get that I get that that's 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 awesome that's really good well you know the, my take on it is the same thing you know I grew up you know with you know down here we we uh South Texas, the 270 Remington is always, you know, it's very, yeah. very, very popular, you know, and that's what it was. And of course, obviously 
we need a long action that's going 2,800 feet per second because whenever we shoot 120 pound deer, we want to make sure we knock it down in case it gets mad and comes and eats us, you know? So <laughs> that's right. That's yeah. Right. And so it's that old traditional stock. I have no problem with it, but I will tell you now, uh, it seems to me as a firearms instructor, you know, the, the, the chassis, whenever I have a new student and I can go in and adjust that chassis exactly to fit them, it seems like I, I, yeah. I go up a couple of steps on the ladder that we otherwise don't, you know, and because they've, they've never seen duct tape and foam on a gun. You know what I mean? I have, you know, I got, right. I got no problem with it, but they've never seen that. Right. And, um, and, and it kind of, I think that, uh, I think there's, we've made some progress there with the, with the chassis rifles and on getting people in, you know, I, in fact, I had, I had a kid out here yesterday, um, 10 years old and he was shooting a seven millimeter 08. His father was with him obviously. And, uh, we, it's like, he got this gun for Christmas. And so they're going to go out there and we're, and he's shooting like this traditional stock. And I've only got just a very limited amount of time with him. And I told his dad, I said, switch that into a chassis, you know, switch it into a chassis, get it adjusted for him. And then as he grows up, you know, he can, he can continue with that by, you know, adding butt spacers and, you know, all this other kind of crap. And I thought, man, if I'd have just had a chassis gun for him, I knew that with the limited time I had with him, we could have gotten a lot further, but we still did fine. I'm, I'm waiting to hear back on how their hunt went. I think they were out today or uh, today or tomorrow. I forget what it is, but yeah, I think that, uh, yeah, no, that... I'm go ahead. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you hundred percent on that. I, when I've got students in and like you're saying, and I'll take the, the odd civilian here and there getting ready for a hunt and, and that, and I'll push them down that road to get a, a good chassis, just like you're saying. And it, it makes our job as instructors so much easier. Um, just adjusting that stuff on the fly and, and not having that. I don't know about you, but back in the day, I used to keep uh, closed cell foam and duct tape always <laughs> in the truck ready to help somebody get there, you know, and then yep. cutting it in half, getting yep. it just the right fit. Yep. Now all we got to do is turn a couple of screws and, and lock it in and make right. them happy, you know, get a good check on them. But I, yeah, I'm, right. I'm fairly so certain if you walk through rifles only, you're, you're going to see some foam and some duct tape still around here. So it's, it's, it's not, it's not a lost art. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's cool. Well, that's cool. Well, uh, Marine Scout Sniper Association, what is your affiliation associate? What, what, what's your deal with that? You've got a story there too. Yeah. So in 97, um, I was actually working with an SF group and they were, they were talking about the, the SF, um, association. Um, I'm like, that's cool. You know, the internet's pretty new at the time. So I, get, I jump on the internet and I'm looking for maybe there's a scout sniper association and, and there wasn't. Mm-hmm. So I start poking around and, and I get a good idea fairy of, Hey man, maybe somebody needs to start this. And, and I, a longer story shorter, I ended up getting hooked up with a guy, um, on the East coast. He was a, a second market guy and we're on the phone a little bit. And so we hatched the idea and he was already starting the, the process of getting it started and he went through a terrible divorce and fell off the end of the world. And I hadn't talked to him in, in decades. Mm-hmm. Um, still haven't. So I, I just picked up the mantle and I kept running with it. So I, there, there's two of us that are founders, but I, I ran with the, the ball and, and founded the association kind of on my own for a year, year and a half, got some Vietnam era veterans involved um i wrote the original bylaws and different things but i never wanted it to be about me and and i'm just now starting to tell this story i haven't my kids didn't even know that i started it for years uh, these kind of things and then my wife convinced me that i should 
at least say something, I guess, for my grandkids down the road so they know grandpa's involvement with it. But right. um, I never wanted it to be about me, and I never talked about it for decades, mm-hmm. uh, at least 20 years. Um, and it, it did its job. It, uh, it's had its up and downs and, and these kind of things. That's that's giving you a kind of thumbnail, broad brush strokes on here on on how it all happened. But mm-hmm. um, we were growing the membership. All the guys that were in my old platoon, whether they wanted or not, uh, they were voluntold, and I even paid their membership fees. Yeah. Um, in the initial days, and and so they've all got low numbers and, and this kind of stuff. But um, yeah, it's it's had its ups and downs. We've definitely had our, our challenges with leadership down the road here and there, and. During the GWAT, I was gone, and I, I stepped away in probably 2000, 2001. Mm-hmm. It needed to get on its own two legs and, and do its own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I stepped away from any kind of leadership role and, and let it do its own thing. And, and it went through a, a whole myriad of, of trials and tribulations on its own. There's sometimes I'm real happy with it and sometimes not so much. But being the founder, you, you become like that father sitting in the corner. Sometimes you're not very happy with your kid and other times they make you real proud. Right. Um, and right, right now we're on that, that apex of being real proud. The, the current president who's on his, his way out, I think this coming month, um, Timothy Parker. So I don't know if you, you know, Timmy or not, but I do not. He has done a wonderful, he's done a wonderful job of being a good steward of the, the scout sniper association. He's done so many great things. And a part of our reunion out there was the Marine Corps Museum gave us a piece of ground to put a memorial up uh, for our fallen from World War One all the mm-hmm. way to present day. Uh, the ironic thing is the same year that the, the Marine Corps Museum gives us a piece of ground, the, the commandant cuts our legs off and, and tells us we're not needed anymore. So it's uh, <laughs> do, do, do what and say that again. <laughs> The commandant of the Marine Corps cuts the legs off of the Marine Corps sniper program and, and tells us, we "Oh don't yeah, need you. I thought you were saying about the uh, the, the sniper association." Yeah, I, I saw that. No, I was, I was no. that was that was my next question. I was gonna, you know, we'll we'll get into that. If you want to go into that right now, go ahead because that that was that was a real shocker. Yeah, well, that was so. That last year, about this time frame, of course, they had already gotten rid of tanks. Uh, when I read that letter, I'm thinking, why in the world would we get rid of tanks? Mm-hmm. Um, and the the commandant's um, comment at the time was, well, if we need tanks, we'll borrow them from the Army. I'm thinking, if the balloon goes up, the Army's not going to give us anything. Right. Um, all we got to do is look at history. We, if we need a stuff from the Army, the army we went and stole it. Um, right. <laughs> rifles, whatever. You just need to look at history. So that's a non-starter. And then, and then they got rid of the, the Marine Corps sniper program. Yeah. And I thought, good Lord. All these historic things, and not only that, I mean, all these other services, and I mean, the Coast Guard, um, all of them, uh, the Navy, the Army, they all started on the heels of the Marine Corps program. Yeah. Um, Sergeant Major Booker, on his Facebook, I, I see he had a picture of himself at First Mardiv when he was a sergeant going through, and there was an SF cat and a Ranger guy standing next to him that were going through those classes at that time because the army didn't have a sniper school. Right. Uh, so it just, it's 
we're all just kind of jaw dropped. And there's a lot of fingers that can be pointed from the, the sniper community and from the command. I guess as the dust is settling here and I'm looking around and the commandant says they don't need us and there's these reasons why and the, the snipers won't capitulate to putting more snipers out be, and that's because we don't want a crap program a product out there right uh, and dump down the standards um but at the same time who's in charge and the marine corps boasts and always have we boasted about being leaders and and the leadership but you're telling us as leaders that it's our fault that we're not getting these program straight and you're going to gut it because um we're not doing a good job well that to me we always look back to the leadership and if we're not doing a job then maybe we're not getting the tools from leadership to do so and there's knuckleheads out there in the community that we're doing stupid things so you know a lot of fingers can be pointed but at the end of the day we're losing a huge capability that saved a lot of marines lives over half a century right uh, and more Right. Um, that can, you know, that's undeniable. So right. it's, it's a kick in the guts to all of us. Um, we're sitting here, you know, after it's just right after we pulled out of Afghanistan, that kick in the guts with a lot of us spent time in the middle East. Right. Next thing we know, the Marine Corps is kicking us in the guts again, telling us, well, you're basically your whole time in was, um, useless. See it. I mean, and you, and you sit back and you think, what, what did we do all this for? Right. But, you know, that's, that's kind of where a lot of guys are sitting and not to, to cry in my, my beer here or anything like that. We, you know, we pick up our, our pack and keep moving forward as we can, but it leaves you scratching your head for sure. Yeah. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And it makes you wonder, you know, what, what, how's that going to roll around whenever our next conflict comes up, you know, because you know, it's coming. Yeah, it's coming and it's just going to cost Marine lives unnecessarily because we, we've lost a capability and, the official Marine Corps uh, um, stand on it is, well, hey, we haven't gotten rid of Marine snipers completely because we have them in recon and we have them in uh, MARSOC. And I talked to a, a sergeant major, uh, leave his name out, but he's involved with MARSOC, and he gave me the, the official company briefing. And I thought, well, that's great. You can fool the fans, but not the players. Right. You know, being at MARSOC, you're owned by USASOC, and the Marine Corps is not going to get any sniper assets from you guys. And... It's a skill set for you. It's not something you're doing on a daily basis. Right. Recon's much the same thing. It's a skill set for them, and they don't have the assets to pour around to the battalions. So we're, the battalions are not going to have that precision um, asset out there that can also do all the other jobs of, of recon and being the eyes and ears of the battalion commander and, and calling in airstrikes, calling in artillery, Navy gunfire, any other supporting arms. I mean, our, our biggest asset was our radio. Right. We're out there with a bolt-action weapon against hundreds of adversaries. The last thing you want to do is get in a, a shooting match with them right. um, and not have any kind of support. Right. So, yeah, so that's I, I'm getting on the, the, the soapbox here, but yeah, well, it needs to be said. It needs to be said. You're you're right. <clears throat> you're absolutely right. Well, okay. Yeah, and, it, and it's just it's just the, the other you know these Marines that are going to have that asset have no idea about it. These guys that are going to be on the front line and, and charging uh, the hill are not going to have anybody as a force multiplier, somebody that's going to be able to change the, the shape and, and shape the battlefield for the battalion commander. 
damn it, damn it. Yeah, like I say, I wonder how that's gonna. I wonder how that's gonna fly because there's gonna be a lot of people that know. You know, whenever it kicks off again, so it's it's very. Yeah, when we're just and we're use, we're losing the assets and and the institutional knowledge. Right. Uh, they're gonna have to reach back and grab old guys. Well, probably they, they won't even look at me because they're younger guys that are more current, um, like Phil and 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 Kalen that are have you know been closer to it mm-hmm. than I have as far as being in the service. But um, it, it's just they're going to have to reach back, and then those guys are going to have to be willing to go do that and get it all stood back up again. Which that that'll be a monumental thing, and they'll be put you know fighting an uphill battle was bad enough when it was integrated into the system and Phil and Kalen can tell you, they were both instructors at the schoolhouse. Right. They had to fight for ranges and fight for ammo and fight for this and fight for that. And it will be tough. And, and the Marine Corps never did support the sniper program. It was a great recruiting tool for them when they needed it. But I can tell you through the late eighties and through the nineties into the two thousands. Um, and I hate to give SEALs credit, <laughs> <laughs> but we would give them seats in the classes and they would bring, and support the whole class with ammo. Right. And those, there would have been a lot of classes that would have never been able to go on without the, the help from our, our seal brethren. Yeah. Well, it's a, it, it's a, it, it's a very interesting bit of news that, that they did shut that down. It, it's like it, for all the reasons you just said, but then also just, just the history of it, you know, and the, the Marine Corps sniper program, you know, you, you hear about that. I mean, it, you get people in other, other countries, they know about that. You know, it's like, they they can't find uh they can't find um you know Kansas on a map but they know where Texas is that's kind of like the Marine Corps sniper program they it's just always been right always had such a, an aura to it well cool all right well um you had brought it up a little bit more earlier what what got you into building targets so um we were doing a match up here and I I put on a, a charity match every year for a long time. Uh, what I was contracting real heavy at the time, and I only had real, really time enough to put on one match. People were asking me to, to put on matches and stuff, and I would shoot matches to go out and, and really perpetuate my own training for the next deployment. Mm-hmm. So then guys were saying, why don't you put a match on? And I kind of drug my feet, doing I really didn't want to do it. And in fact, the first match that I put on, I did it in the manner which I thought they wouldn't, no one would ever want to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I made it a complete charity match. And uh, this spring will be our 18th consecutive year of doing that match. Mm-hmm. Um, and a guy showed up at the, at the match early on years ago, and he wanted to uh, put a moving target system into the match. Okay. And I, I pushed back. I'm like, look, I've shot every automated moving target system out there. They all fail. I don't want it in the match. Um, I really don't want anything to do with it. And he talked me into it. We put it in the match. And then about an hour or two into the match, sure enough, I don't know how many fixes later, we had to go down and and take it out of the match. Right. So a buddy of mine that I met up here uh, actually been about in the field hunting. We became real good friends. And then he wanted me to get him into uh, shooting matches and stuff. And his name is Brent Webley. Some of the guys are probably listening, know him real well. He's just a natural shot. He can show up about anywhere, anytime, and, and always be in the top 10, whether he practices or not. He's just one of those anomalies. Yeah. Uh, only thing I really had to teach him to do was uh, 
read the wind. Yeah. Uh, I used to crush him before I, before I, he could read the wind and, and then it was hard keeping up with him after that. But yeah. he, uh, he comes from a mill background. Uh, they have their own family sawmill mm-hmm. and he was the millwright and, and the jack of all trade out there. Mm-hmm. So at the end of that competition, he goes, I can make uh, one of those targets that will never quit. And I'm like, yeah, right on whatever. Right. So a year goes by. We're about two weeks out from having that match and I'm goading and I'm like, Hey man, where, where's that moving target? You said you could make. And within a matter of three days, he put together 60 foot long. It's not much different than the tra- the same thing you bought from me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really what we have now, we've made some modifications here and there, but it is so minuscule. It's not even funny. Um, so he made this thing and I put it out in the field and prior to the match, about two weeks out from the match that we can happen there, I had uh, an SF group come in and we were doing some training and I would every morning go over and turn that thing on just to see what it would do. Yeah. And like yours, it squeaks a lot and you can hear that thing running. Yep. And as we're shooting and stuff, guys are like, what is that thing? Because in the mountain terrain we've got here, you can't see it from different positions as right. we were training on the range. But you can damn sure hear and that thing. You can damn sure hear the new one, the new system we've got. We'll, we'll talk about it offline later, but get your track upgraded. You won't hear that thing moving, and then it'll make you nervous if, if it had a stoppage. Yeah. So, uh, so well, that, anyway, that's how I remember that I, I forgot to turn the mover off. It's because it's over there squeaking along, but it's still going. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. That's it. But. Anyway, that thing would just run and run and run. And the SF guys are finally like, well, can we shoot it? And I'm like, well, might as well. Let's test it out. So the last three days um, that they were there, we just pretty much shot movers every day for three days. Mm-hmm. And then we ran it in the match. Uh, guys that came to the match, they wanted to put it in their matches. So through that shooting season, and this was, oh, gosh, how many years ago? 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's been a while. Um, Somewhere in there. Anyway, the, uh, the reason I put that timeline on is because, you know, there there weren't that many matches going on anywhere in the country at any one time. Right. I mean, you, you can swing a dead cat now and, and hit a match on an, an, any weekend. But yep. uh, back then, there was probably, I don't know, up here in the Pacific Northwest, there's probably somewhere between six and eight matches within the shooting seat for our shooting season up here spring right. to fall. Um, and we took that to every match. Mm-hmm. And so that was in 2012, 2013. And I looked at Brent and I'm like, you know what? Let's take this. I got to go down to shot show anyway with some other stuff. Let's take this down to shot show and see if we can sell a couple. So I went down there and, and uh, ran into some guys that knew you. You and I had never met at that point. Right. Um, got walked over to your booth and um, met you, gave you the pitch. and. Next thing I know, you're writing me a check for one. Yeah. And that was, <laughs> was cell number, cell number one. So, yep. uh, it's, it's just really grown from there. I did a lot of guerrilla marketing, yep. um, to get that thing, you know, kind of off the ground. I leveraged a lot of contracts uh, through the military and other government entities that I've been contracting for, for the past, how many years I've been doing it. And, it just started growing legs and, and getting bigger and bigger than mass directors and ranges, police departments and all kinds of people buy them now. And, and we're happy to sell them and, and we stand behind every product. I, and I'm originally modeled it, you know, bringing up loophole and buck there. Um, we 
I wanted to model it after Leupold, the electronics package. And, and anything that goes wrong with that, as long as you don't shoot it or drown it, we will fix it. Right. Uh, and and we stand behind that today. And, and we have had, I don't know, in this more than 10 years of being in business, it's, uh, I want to say we've had maybe four come back and usually with a wire that wiggled loose or something and mm-hmm. plug it back in, solder it up and, and send it back. Yeah. So it's been a real successful system. Carl, I don't know how many of them I have. I don't know how many of them you have. I think I have, um, I think I have, I have two here at the Texas facility. I've got one at the Colorado facility. Oh. And another one and at the abandoned Colorado is, facility, two in New Hampshire. Yeah. Yeah. At least two, maybe three in New Hampshire. Maybe three in New Hampshire. Maybe maybe there's three up there at, yeah. at Rifles Only New Hampshire. Yep. And then there's one that is mobile. It it sits in a trailer. And so it kind of it kind of works out pretty good. But no, the damn things work, you know, and it's kinda of like you um saying as long as you don't shoot it or drown it, um we actually did drown one and it still worked. I, <laughs> right yeah i remember that yeah, yeah it's yeah and and so yeah those, i mean it, it works really good you know it's been you know having that I, I had one from action target and um this is before you this is this is ages ago this is like 2000 99 or 2000 and so right that that target is still running but there's a caveat the only reason it's still running is because one of the guys who works here with me lindy sisk i'm sure you've heard of him he's a former marine as well yeah but he's an yep. electrical engineer. And so the the guts of that action target system don't look anything like what came out of the factory. Fortunately, it's still working. But yours, we haven't done anything right. to it. Uh, we haven't done anything to any of them. And it's been, we've been able to say, okay, we're very, very confident that if we're going to do a two-day two match, we can run the in-motion target and we're not going to have any issues. Uh, it, it's opened right. up our training to the point to where you know, people will, you know, they, they come to a competition. It's the only time they've ever shot a mover, you know, or, you know, they've never shot a mover before. And so they come over here and they do right. that. And then that's opened up because we do actual mover clinics using yours. And during the mover clinic, I mean, that's all we do. I check the fundamentals. You know, we talk about safety, obviously, you know, we check the fundamentals and then we go out and we talk about ambush track, everything else. And then truly whenever, whenever we're doing a mover clinic, it gets to where they're actually, they've had enough. You know what I mean? They've actually had enough and, you know, they get, you know, 10 shots on it and, you know, 10 shots, you know, in, in, uh, you know, they're down to 10 shots in two passes, you know, they're, they're really just smoking it and they would never get that sort of skill set had they not, you know, been able to go and run a mover and you don't spend half the clinic fixing the mover. You know what I mean? We just, we don't, I mean, we just have to, all we do is right. shoot the damn thing. We go and paint it up every now and then change out the T post. That's about it. And the damn thing runs like a spotted right. ass ape on crack. I love it. It's fantastic. Yeah, well, we appreciate it, and we, re- you know, really appreciate you guys running it down there and, and showcasing it. Um, but yeah, I somebody told me that's in the um, car manufacturing business that I didn't build any failures into it to sell more <laughs> widgets yeah. and stuff. But I, you know, coming from the end user as well, and I don't want training to suffer, especially if it's me training. I'm getting ready to go overseas, or I've trained a bunch of guys that I'm going to deploy with, or that. I'm training that they're going to deploy. I feel responsible for them and, you know, and their training. If I put my hands on them, so to speak, and I know you understand what I'm talking about. Yeah, I do. I do completely. 
I I feel responsible for them, and I, and I would feel I would be doing them a, a dis, you know an injustice of of uh, shorting them because I need to make an extra buck here and there. So I'm happy yeah. they're running good, um, and they they still seem to sell. So I'm I'm happy. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, how many how many did you sell this year? You know, I got I haven't done the books this year. We had a good year. Uh-huh. Um, sure, oddly enough, the COVID years like were kind of our best i think everybody's taking their covid money and pulling it together and buying them yeah um so but yeah this last year was still good yeah i thought i was gonna have be back to the traditional um kind of december of being our downtime but we've gotten a lot of orders in this month as well so good it's things are good man i i I probably should try and, and bolster the business up and and build more business and and more customers but i'm i have to say i'm i'm kind of in a happy spot to where I don't know how much bigger I want to be. I've had very large businesses. I've had multi-million dollar businesses and stuff. And um, that is time consuming and hard on the family. And now I'm a grandfather and I just don't know how much, how much more I want to take on. Yeah. Well, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. I know exactly what you're talking about. It, it takes a lot whenever you're, you know, putting everything you have into that is, you know, <laughs> going from nothing to, you know, getting it up to where it is now, but man, it, it's a, it's a great target. Are, do you have any, do you have any uh, plans for the future on uh, additional products or upgrades to the mover or anything like that? Yeah, we've done some upgrades on the mover. So already with the track, we use pipe for track now and, and, uh, different wheels so like i said it's real quiet now and another good byproduct of the pipe is and we didn't realize this and we were wondering and i had a um an army class come out when we first fielded the pipe and i thought oh my god you know because much to my chagrin chagrin I, i wish they would this is just me i wish the army guys would teach their guys initially just have them dial their dope on and get comfortable with their leads mm-hmm. but they throw them they, they immerse them totally and say hold over and lead figuring it out on the fly and it's the first time they're ever shooting movers right well when you're not holding over with a 308 at, at 450 meters uh, you're hitting the track right so right. anyway well and so we built a shield for the 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 trolley now um that's one upgrade we've made so now that the trolley and the wheels and operating system that's underneath it doesn't get all um all ate up yeah so we've done that um but with the pipe we just threw it out there naked to see what was going to happen and because of that round roundness of the pipe the projectiles just bounce off it you can't hit it square enough to put a hole in it right um so it's barely scratching it so that's that's been a a a real a real good un unwanted or un, um, unforeseen unforeseen advantage yeah unforeseen advantage and the other thing is is now as you know we run the limit switch cords um down to to tell the trolley to go back to their way well we run that down the pipe now if it's right. especially if it's going to be stationary right uh if not we put it in conduit and when you're moving it you can just accordion it up and the conduit protects it enough from the spalling and you don't have to worry about uh, that getting zeroed out or anything like that. So yeah. those are the couple of the, the basic upgrades on that. Some other things we've done, we've got turning targets. So if you want to put an animal on there, mm-hmm. um, it will be anatomically correct and, and won't be moonwalking back one way. Right. Um, so you can shoot it properly. Um, 
we've got a turning target system you can set on top of the trolley so that has its own separate remote so you can run the remote for your your um, mover to do different speeds so stop and goes reverse direction and then you can make your uh your turner uh, do different facings as it's moving up and down the track mm-hmm. so and you can do command or put it on a loop where it's so many seconds it's it's facing and i can 180 it so i can put a shoot no shoot target at once you know different color steel on one side and another color steel on the other for shoot no shoot wow wow i should have gone to your website before we had this conversation well that actually is not on the website that's okay. just something we we've been uh doing and and i've been remiss on getting some of the upgrades on the on the website so but the the turning target system actually sits right on top of the uh take the tower off of your trolley and just put that turning target system right on top of it and it rides up and down and turns and does all the things it needs to and then on the facing side it has ar500 on it so nothing will penetrate the box right yeah i put mine i put mine behind a a a concrete barrier and then so it's like the only thing you see is the you don't see any of the track or anything it's impossible to hit it and so it's kind of did all right. the protections on there and then we ran we ran our own conduit on our, on our i'm talking about the original one number one number one is still running and number one is actually right. gets used the most and so we we kind right. of did some of those things putting it in conduit and then you know moving the limit switches and and um and it, it's just been it's just been great man i mean it's like i say the damn thing just works and I, it's kind of funny I, I, um, I always, you know, once bitten, twice shy, I was exactly like you, uh, you know, if, I, if we we're having this conversation <laughs> like 13 years ago, there's no way I would schedule and put on my calendar, a moving target clinic, you know, I'm just be like, no, I know. And in yeah. fact, going back to that first meeting we had, you know, and plus we're just meeting each other and I could see it in your eyes because I felt the same way, Yeah, man. Oh God! Yeah, I want. Oh, here we go. Um, you snake oil salesman <laughs> trying to get me new elixir that's not going to work. But to Brent's credit, um, man, he that first and we still run it here. Mm-hmm. The first system ever built was built out of used parts, yep. just laying around the, the sawmill out there. Yeah, <laughs> he cobbled together. Within two days, we had a moving target system. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's 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 doing good. Yeah, we we go over. We just. Uh, you know, push the green to go and the red to stop. And that's, here goes the mover back and forth. We stop it and paint it every now and then. And, and, uh, it's just been, it's just been a really, a really good tool, uh, that, you know, we have in the, in the, in the toolbox here at rifles only. And that's, that's thanks to, to you getting that thing out there. And again, as you can tell, we bought many more of them. So it's, it's, it's pretty good. Oh yeah. Well, fantastic. Yeah, no, and that's, I think that's the, the biggest testament is having returned customers and, and that kind of thing. Um, it's, it's been a great experience for me and it made my wife happy. Uh, when we started that business, we've been married for 10 years and I'd been deployed for all of that 10 years on and off with mm-hmm. contracting. And once we the sales started to pick up and then the, you know, the training started to pick up more here and that kind of stuff. I, was I didn't have to go on the road and, and overseas and my wife's like, okay, you know what? I think we can make it on what you're doing now and and I don't want you to go to the two way range anymore. So right. she goes, Ten years of you going the two way range, I'm I'm kinda over it. Um, which was kind of a hard pill for me to swallow. Mm-hmm. Um it's hard to stop doing I don't know if say it was a labor of love, but you felt like you were letting the guys down and I'll be honest. I I love the adrenaline of it. I yeah. love being out there in the mix. And 
I, that's all I've known since 19. I was like kid around with the kids now. I feel like I'm so old. I say 1985. I've been doing that. <laughs> right. You know. So. Yeah. Well, it's uh, yeah, going so, in at 85 at 18 years old, and then you know here we are in 2023. You know that's that's a long that's a long time behind a rifle, brother. Yeah, it's it's been a long run. It's I don't shoot as well as I used to. Uh, mishaps overseas and and whatnot, and health caught up with me a little bit. I don't see as good as I used to, and move as as good as I used to, and and, yep. and those kind of things. But I I still coach guys and and. You know, and like you know, I've talked before. The accuracy is the biggest thing for me, and to get them, all these electronics are great, mm-hmm. uh, and I love electronics, and I love how it's made our jobs easier. However, and I tell this to the kids all the time: if you're breaking a calculator out on the two-way range, you've already lost. You sound exactly you know, like good. me. You sound the last thing. Whenever <laughs> you hear something whiz by, the last thing I want you to do is stick your face in a freaking computer. <laughs> Yes, I, I, I'm, I'm here to tell you I love what the, these apps on our phones have done for us and the Kestrel's done for us and, yep. and all these things. And but and then I get out there and I actually shoot with them. We set up courses of fire and then they, um, I, usually their instructor staff comes with them and then they turn them over to me for a couple of days and I take them out and strip them of all that. Yeah, and it's it's a re, you know rude awakening for them. I'm like by now you I. The last 10 days, mostly of their course, when they come out, and you've had a few weeks now, you should be getting used to your shooting tables and these kind of things. And they're, well, I'm, you know, my DA this and my DA that. And I said, your DA is important, but I'm here to tell you, brother, with 600 and in, it's not going to have a huge effect. Mm-mm. Nope. Once we get our initial DA going, especially when we're looking at men of the man. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. The target but, is different. You know, I yeah. do want them to. Yeah, I want them to be as accurate. And we go through drills and, and um, different things to make them real accurate. And I dry fire the hell out of them until they get tired of it. I know they're yep. tired of it. But then once we start going into live fire, they all – I've never had one guy come back and say, man, that dry fire didn't do me any good. Um, <laughs> Ain't that the truth? And they, they, they say, oh, man, that dry fire. I said, yeah, you can do that dry fire. You don't have to be at work. You yeah. Know, make, your, make sure your weapon's safe and all these things. and. And you can do that at home you yeah. know, and make a lot of money doing it. Yeah, I tell you, I've, I've had the good fortune to work with some of our allied militaries, too, and uh, one of them especially. Um, uh, the dry fire wasn't wasn't recommended. It was mandatory, you know, in, in their program. And it was kind of like, you know, we, right. we'd be doing a course out here, and it's like, okay, we're going we're gonna to start at 8, and I could start hearing the clicks about 7.25, 7.30, and it was just like yeah. it was part yeah. of their routine. And, so it, and it paid off. It really does pay off. There's, there's no question about that. And it's kind of like, I'm kind of like you, you know, I've got, I've got the Chestrel, I've got a bunch of apps on my phone, you know, and, and everything else, but it's kind of like, you know, the, 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 one of the biggest problems that I see is someone will come up with a solution on their phone and then they'll try it and it doesn't work. Then they do it again and it doesn't work again and they do it again and it doesn't work again. And I just tell them, I said, look, dude, what are you going to do? Are you going to believe the bullet? Are you going to believe that calculator? Because the bullet's the one who has the final word, you know, and whether you're going to kill something or you're trying to put points on the board, the bullet's going to do that for you. Your program's not, you know, and it's kind of like you can't come over. I shot I shot what my Kestrel said every single time. Well, that's very, very good. You missed every single time, too. (laughs) And so, okay, I'm not going to give you points for following the computer. I'm going to give you points whenever you hit the steel. And so I've seen that. 
I've seen that happen a lot that people will, and you know, uh, like Lindy, you know, he, he has that website that has, you know, I think 16 reasons your ballistic program could, could be giving you the wrong answer. And all of them are, <laughs> you know, it, all of them are, are just little things that we know about, but we're human, you know, and we can forget to do something. We forget to change this. We forget to put this in, you know, we forget to sync up the, the weather for our DA or something like that. So those can cause you to miss. But if you're looking downrange, you know, I, I, I always say, you know, that scope that you have on top of your gun, it's three things. The first thing is it's an optic, but so are binoculars. You know what I mean? So are the glasses right. that I'm wearing right yeah. now. The next thing is, yep. is it's an aiming device. And that's how you tell the future. That aiming device tells you where your bullet's going to go. And the third thing it is, right. is it's a measuring device because all those little lines that are in there, they mean something. And so if that's you go, right. yeah, if you go in, you know, if you, and again, in order for this, device on top of your weapon for it to be able to serve these three purposes of course obviously you need to have the proper eye relief you need to set your parallax you know you need to do the normal things that do that but that you do all of those things before you even load the gun and so if right. you go over and your ballistic calculator tells you that you need a 1.1 mil hold and you pull the trigger and it hits at 1.7 what you did is you just asked the bullet say hey how does this 1.1 work and the bullet said not quite enough you need 1.7 why would you shoot 1.1 again? It doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? The bullet, the bullet just told yeah. you. The bullet just told you what it needed under these wind conditions. But I put the wind in the Kestrel. Okay, well, the Kestrel don't give a shit whether you hit or miss. You know what I mean? So, right. I don't well, know. Yeah, so I, I wrestled much the same thing in these kids. Well, my Kestrel's saying this. I'm like, well, it's wrong, isn't it? Yeah. And, well, what do we do? I've said, well, you're in the fight right now, so adjust. Yeah. And let's say you're off a half a mil. Guess what you're going to do now? Everything from now on is that half a mil correction all the way out. And we'll figure this out later, but right. it's much like doing CQC. If you screw up going through that fatal funnel, brother, now's the time. Not We're not going to stop now. We'll figure this out later. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we Let's... need to get to our point of domination and, you know, hit our left and right lateral limits, secure the room, kill what needs to be killed. Don't kill what doesn't need to be killed. And once we're doing our AR, hey, what happened? What? Why did we have this problem? Right. We'll, we'll adjust later. Right. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, you jump off the bird. You you get wrapped up in your mission. Mission creep. The fog of everything, and now you've forgotten your stuff. Batteries wear out. Crap gets broken. You need to know how these rifles are going to operate, and, and better be second nature. Then the, yep. the biggest thing I'm with these kids, I said, you're nothing more than a professional hunter. Right. That's You're out here, yeah, and we're giving intel reports and these kind of things. But when the killing needs to start, brother, it's it's all about being efficient. Yep, and getting rid of ninety uh, percent of the stuff that you know. I mean, okay, put it in the pack, but and they they start asking me, how come you don't look at your kestrel? I'm like, I don't need to. Mm -mm. I don't need to look at it. I'm, yep. I'm confident with my my zero. You know, only time I need to break that thing out is if something goes wrong, and then and that's after the engagement. Right. Yep. And, you know, and, and it's one of those things, too. You know, I've talked about this before, you know, offline with people. You know, we, we, we do competitions out here, too. And it's kind of like um, you go and you look at these stages and you see who's, who's doing really well in the stages, you know. And it's kind of like you go and you watch them and their Kestrel is nowhere to be found. But the ones That's who right. aren't doing so good, you know, they're holding up their Kestrels and everything else. And I get it. They're learning. Those guys are winning because they've been doing it for a while. And girls, too. And nowadays, sure. it's, it's really great. And so it, it's really... It's really cool. I'm like you. I love the electronics. But the thing about it is, is I, I kind of describe it like this. You know, I have a device in my pocket that I can talk on the phone. I can text with my wife. 
I can access the Library of Congress, and it'll get me within two-tenths of a mil at a 1,000 yards under any weather condition. We're just not losing. You know what I mean? This is a pretty good, (laughs) it's a pretty impressive device. But on the other hand, sometimes things are going to go wrong. You know, sometimes the the wind is going to shift on you. Sometimes you had three cups of coffee rather than four cups of coffee, and that changes things. But as long as you're, as long as like, just like you said, adjust fire, because the whole idea is to put that bullet on target. And it's really, it's really kind of easy, i.e. go back to the measuring device that's right in front of your eyeball. So I get a little passionate about that. I'm sorry, brother. No, no, I'm, I'm, you know what, that is a a very um, under said thing about the measuring stick inside of that scope. Mm -hmm. Um, These kids are like, I hear it all the time. Oh, you're a half a plate off. Yeah, I know. Oh, really? Half a plate. What about that ruler? I get and I, I get heated about it. I'm like, you got the damn measuring stick in there. How about communicate me on a universal language that we both understand? Yep. And it's supposed uh, to sit or, in there. Or should understand. Well, right here yeah. in my classroom, <laughs> right here in my classroom, I'm sitting here and I call it my 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 podcast studio slash classroom. If I turn around and look at the wall, there is a one foot measuring stick in wood stuck to the wall that one of my students gave me. And it was like on day three, whenever he figured that out and he says, holy shit, that's exactly works. I said, I've been telling you, I've been telling you it's a measuring device and it's right in front of your eyes. You don't even have to pull it off of your belt, you know, and, and pull it out, you know, to where it's spring loaded to go back in. It's right there. It's right there. Just use it. So yeah, it's pretty good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and along that line, you know, the measuring stick thing, and you kind of brought it up in the, in the beginning with the inertal MOA and the, the mill all at the same time. And as right. kids, we were screaming, we were screaming, please give us mill mill. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. And, and you know, that didn't happen until uh, the G watt, but right. And, holy smoke. That's well over a decade from when I was doing it, but, yep. um, but at the time and, and what a lot of people don't realize that inertal scope, that was sensitive item. Mm-hmm. You know, we look at mill dot reticles now, and it's just commonplace. But right. When I was a kid, that thing um, was protected to the point where we had deadly force was authorized if somebody laid their hands on that thing. Yeah, I think they're still so, covered under ITAR, aren't they, for manufacturers? They, I, you know, I think they may be. Yeah. Um, but when we were transporting them from Camp Pendleton to um, uh, 29 Palms and vice versa, mm-hmm. You know, we had to go armed because we had other weapons we were had in the vehicle and that kind of thing. So we right. had to have somebody, a duty, a, a duty guy with a, a 45 and, and mm-hmm. you know, so many rounds and that kind of thing. And um, when we got those inertals, that was uh, deadly force was authorized. If somebody laid their hands on that weapon, even attempted to take it mm-hmm. because there was no other accurate way for a man um, with man portable stuff to range estimate with any degree of accuracy at the time right so that's yep. that was the whole thing with that so yeah and now yeah just, it's just a now it's just commonplace yeah, i went ahead. yeah now it's just commonplace i went and i got a, a this is years ago but i went and got a, a scope for my niece's cricket 22 and uh it was a little bitty short plastic thing that had a mill dot reticle in it we got it off walmart you know what i mean cost yeah. 14 bucks and so there's <laughs> commonplace now but yeah i'm with you yeah it's the, yeah they're everywhere if you don't yeah. see a mill grid in something you know or some kind of a grid even an moa yeah uh, but even with the moa guys are like well i don't understand mills and i'm like it's real easy they're intense you understand tense yeah yep. but i don't understand mills and 
I'm like, okay, if you want to stick with MOA, I'm good with that. I can, I can go back and forth all day. Right. Yeah. I speak both languages too. Yeah. That was pumped into us. We didn't have a choice then. Right. Um, so that, that was kind of the deal. And, but and I think it's important to know both. Um, yeah. Just in case you get somewhere and, and you got to pick a weapon up, um, you know, the balloon goes up, you lose your weapons, you're overseas, whatever the case yeah. may be. And you got to understand other weapon systems. So I think it's good to understand those. Interesting story about Mill Mill. I was, um, I was doing a course uh, overseas and um, we had a 600 meter range and it was, it was very interesting. It was right in front of a prison. It was crazy. But anyway, I'm out there, I'm out there with this group of military guys and this kid shows up with a gun I'd never seen before, which is a rare thing for me. And um, it had the scope on it. And, you know, he was, you know, we were talking, you know, through an interpreter and everything else. And we were talking about this and uh, it's an allied nation, by the way. At any rate, um, I said, can I shoot your gun? And he said, for sure. And I got on it and it's seven, six, two fifty four. And uh, the scope adjusted in one mil increments with a German post. Wow. Whenever you dialed it, you could see that post go clunk. <laughs> clunk clunk <laughs> and the kid could make that damn thing walk and talk so i got no complaints man he was doing well <laughs> oh wow yeah he just in tune with it yep. knew and had obviously been shooting yep yep I, 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 that was that was one thing that is really stuck out in my mind but well carl this we've, we're about the time that i usually run my podcast I, I you know did a poll and i found out you know what the time is really good for people and we're about at that time but you know i uh, you you know growing up um you know, football player and, and, you know, sports and outfitting and then, you know, going and joining the Marine Corps and, and, uh, doing all that fun stuff in the, in the eighties over in the Persian Gulf and, uh, you know, coming through and, and, you know, being a sniper and then a founding member of the Scout Sniper Association, uh, contractor, uh, you got a really nice place up there, uh, in, in Washington and then building these targets. And I'll tell you, because you built this target, it's, it has really assisted me in training a lot of people, you know, from the civilian side of the house, as well as the military side of the house and government agency side of the house. And a lot of that is to credit to, you know, to you and in motion targets. And, uh, it, that's your, that's your website, right? Inmotion.com. That's right. Yes. Sir. Okay. Yeah. And so if, if guys are out there and I know I get calls, you know, we'll have a, a police department come through and they say, Hey, what's that target? And I say, well, here it is. And, you know, go, go get this one because at least it's going to work for you every time. And so, and they've, they've seen it out here working for a week already. So they know it's going to work. And so we, I think right. we've, I hope that we have pushed some business your way because I'm, Oh, a, you, you have, you have driven tons of business towards us and I appreciate everything you do and not just for driving business for us, but training guys up and, and, and making them train right. Um, I can't. I can't say that enough. I, I've. I've never come and trained with you, but I've known too many people uh, that you know we cross deck back and forth, and um, just too many people I know that have been down there and visited you, and they've been better for it. Well, I'm glad to hear it, but man, I got to tell you, it's just it's it is a hell of a lot more fun than it is work. You know, I just love doing it. <laughs> I love doing yeah, it. Yeah, it's a good time for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Sure. All right. So inmotion.com if you need to get a hold of Carl and get uh, a target. Yeah. And um yeah, inmotion inmotiontargets.com. Inmotiontargets.com. Absolutely. And so if y'all need something like that, let us know. Uh, those that are, you can stay on with me, Carl, after I close this out. But if you've been stuck with us for the last hour and listening, I, I know that y'all have enjoyed this podcast. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to the podcast, everybody out there, you know, who, who comes and, and searches us out and finds us. Um, again, 
www.riflesonly.com. Uh, anything that you need from the pro shop, uh, let us know. You can either order it online or you can call and talk. Everybody's got my phone number, so just let us know if you need anything. And then keep in mind, the brawl's coming up on the 7th, 16th, 17th of February. That's a Friday, Saturday. There's a train-up that starts the Monday previous. That's uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursday is off in range preparation. And then we start the match on Friday, and it'll go Friday, Saturday. We'll have food Friday, and then Saturday after, as you know, it's typically a big Texas barbecue and beer bash and prize table and everything else uh the sponsors that we have the we've already have two rifles from uh mile high that are on the table they're not just uh skinned out rifles they do have spur mounts they do have scopes they do come in a pelican case they're ready to go so uh, i will get some pictures up on the website or on the facebook page on that so y'all can see them thank you all again for listening i very very much appreciate it carl taylor thanks to you if you have any questions thank for you, carl sir. Uh, just send him to ROAP at riflesonly.com and I'll call him back. I've got his cell number, so he's another one I can call at 2.30 in the morning. Y'all take care and thanks for listening.